0: Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who I haven't had the privilege to meet personally, my name is Jeff Matthias, and uh, hopefully we can meet uh, sometime in the future. And this morning, I was given the honor and the privilege of leading our time together in the Word. And so as we do that, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come humbly before you this morning. We thank you for giving your Word to us that we might know you. And Father, we pray that as we gaze at your son and we gaze at your word this morning, that you would guide the words to come out of my mouth by your spirit and that you would be glorified and all of us together would be edified as one body in your son. We pray this in his holy and perfect name, amen. So this morning, we're gonna be focusing in on a passage that I've uh, routinely been edified by and that also routinely uh, hones my mind towards a proper perspective of the life that we have as believers who have been joined together with Christ. There's so many things that vie for our attention and can quickly cause us to settle for a form of spirituality that is less than the glorious riches that we enjoy in our Savior The Apostle Paul was concerned about this same temptation as he wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey, and specifically as he wrote to the church in Colossae. After spending two chapters in the book of Colossians, that's the first two chapters, enumerating the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely that God became a man in the person of Jesus the Christ, And he lived a sinless life, yet bore the wrath of God reserved for the sins of those who believe in him on his body on the cross. In this, he died the death all sinful men deserve, satisfying the wrath of God in our place. And he imputed then to us his righteousness, to all who believe in his name for salvation from that wrath. And the proof of his completed work is in that three days later, God raised him from the dead that everyone whose faith is placed in his work for salvation and the forgiveness of sins has passed with him from death into life. And in Christ, then we have access to all the promised treasures of wisdom and knowledge and spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And so if then these truths characterize the position of everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's sitting here in this building or is tuning in online and this should have an impact on how we conduct our lives each day. Many have attempted to reach perceived levels of, of holiness that seem to be higher using their own ways or their own methods or some new program. And if you just go to any bookstore, you can see all the different types of books that are out there that talk to spiritual wellness or, or maybe emotional wellness or self-help books. And they testify to these methods and programs that we attempt to use in our own man-made wisdom to draw closer to the Lord. But in Colossians chapter two, verse 22, we're taught that these matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and in self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so instead of chasing after man-made religion and all that falls into that category, even those things that fall under the title that might be used or associated with them as Christian. We're called to pursue practical, holdi- excuse me, practical holiness by actively dwelling on biblical realities that create in believers the desire to put off fleshly living and put on the righteousness of Christ. So this morning, we're gonna look at six of those realities and we're gonna do so as we step into Colossians chapter 3 in verses one through four. So with that, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter three, and we'll begin in verse one. Now I'm gonna be reading from the New American Standard Bible, so if it sounds a little different to you, that's why. And spoiler alert, as we uh, look at all of these uh, different truths or these different realities, it's ultimately all gonna boil down to just gazing at Christ himself. So with that, Colossians chapter three and verse one. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seize at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so as we approach these verses, the first reality that we must affirm is the reality of God himself. And it might seem obvious, but many in Paul's day, as well as in our culture today, are willing to accept the principles from the scriptures, but are unwilling to confess that there is a divine, all-powerful, single creator of the universe who works all things to his good pleasure. And the references to God in verses one and in verse three speak of the same God who Paul introduced in chapter one. And it's the same God who we know through his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that because in chapter one, verse five, he begins enumerating various characteristics of the son that show us who God is. Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He continues that he's the creator of all things, the one who upholds the universe. The one in whom the fullness of deity dwells, the one who reconciles all things to himself. And so, as we consider that if you want to know who God is, then you have to know Christ. It's the only way to know God. God is real, He's not an idea, He's not merely an abstract entity who's outside of ourselves that we attempt to connect to through some emotional experience. He is God. And he reigns, and he has communicated to us through his word, and we cannot merely accept the principles outlined in this book, in the Bible, for practical living. It's not merely a book on how to make your life better. It is the book that reveals the true, holy, and awesome nature of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The whole of this passage that we're reading this morning is calling us to a heavenly mindset, And we cannot dwell in the heavenlies without knowing the king of the heavenlies. So again, the first reality that we have to embrace as those who have been raised up with Christ is the reality of God. Because without God, there is no resurrection, there's no hope, and there's nothing to look forward to. And so with that established, we can begin to dive into the text. So look with me, if you will, in chapter 3, verse 1 again. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. This is the second reality that we have, who are believers, have been raised with Christ. And though not expounded in detail here, we're called to remember what Christ did and what that means positionally and relationally for believers. And if might be better translated since, because it's something that has actually happened to believers. And as we think about this reminder, we ought to have ringing in our minds the truths that are found in Galatians chapter two and also Romans six. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The practical implication of this is that the pathway to holiness is not self-denial but it's Christ himself. And then we could go on to Romans 6, where he says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through the baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism here is not referring to the physical symbol that we do in a tank but it's the fact of our immersion into the work of Christ himself. Therefore, our current lives are to no longer look like the world around us who hasn't been raised up with Christ. The reality is that we have been raised to a new life, and this is true. We've been raised to a new life. If you are in Christ, you have new life. Do you believe that? You aren't the same, and this has implications for how you'll live at work, how you'll live at home, when you're alone or when you're with others. That's exactly what you see if you read through the remainder of the book of Colossians. And since the reality here is that we've already been raised up with Christ, then he is now our life and we must not trade him for anything less and the life that we have in him for anything less. Any form of legalism will not keep us pure. It won't give us the heavenly mindset we need to live this new life. Even as good as doctrinal purity and a love for the truth is, Christ himself always has to remain first in the lives of a believer. And think about the letter to uh, the church in Ephesus that was written in Revelation chapter two. You know, this church was praised by Christ for their doctrinal and their moral purity. They were praised by Christ himself for their love of the truth, but they were rebuked. And they were rebuked because they had left their first love. They had left their love for Christ. And they were warned that he would remove their place as a light in the world if they did not repent. The essence of being a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ and a failure of a church to love Christ first will bring an end to that church. So now bringing it back to the text in verse one, He continues with an expectation and an exhortation that since believers are made alive in Christ, they will keep seeking the things that are above. Keep seeking. This is continuous action. It means that it requires effort. And it's important for us to note that it's not that you're gonna just keep seeking the streets of gold and the amazing gates of a single pearl. It's not that. But... It's the one who rules heaven that is ever to be on our minds. And he drives that home by saying, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. It's the things that character—excuse me characterize Christ. And if we wanna know what those things might be, well, he tells us. Look at verse 12. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 16 really drives home how we gain this heavenly mindset. He says to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How are you doing with that? Do you study God's word daily? Do you make it a priority in your life? Do you commit it to memory? Do you teach it to your children? Do you teach your children to commit the word of God to memory? These are all questions that we should be asking ourselves on a daily basis as those who want to have a mind that's formed to be like Christ and to constantly live in the reality of having been raised up with him. This is the way that God has given us to know him and this is the way that God has given us to be like him. And so with that, we can continue then to the third reality that is also found in verse one. He says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you wanna know where Christ is right now, he's not only in heaven, but he's also seated at the right hand of God. Now the book of Hebrews helps us understand the significance of the statement of Christ having been seated at God's right hand and that significance is massive and is way beyond what we can go into for uh, the time that we have together this morning. But Hebrews chapter one verse three helps keeps it pretty succinct for our time. The writer says, and he is at the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power listen here at this part. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had made purification of sins, he completed his work. There's no more payment to be made on behalf of any believer. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have been separated from you as far as the East is from the West. So there's no longer any condemnation. It is because of this completed work that we do not need to dwell on our past sins and we must not replay those past sins over and over in our minds. We're set free from them because Christ completed the work that sets us free. And the result is that we can draw near to his throne and find grace and mercy. And we're given confidence to know that as Hebrews 7.25 says, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him Since he always lives to make intercession for them, Christ is alive. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of his children. Once again, the purification of our sins and the freedom we have from them demands a response. And so verse two continues. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So we're not just to do the things above, but we're to think things above. We're supposed to have this inner disposition within ourselves. We're to we have a transformed mind, as Romans 12 teaches, by the renewing of our minds. And we might ask, well, what does that look like? What does a renewed mind look like? Unfortunately, the Lord tells us in Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And if those are the things we're supposed to be dwelling on, it can be difficult. The flesh makes that hard. It resists this type of thinking, and Paul knows that. So he goes even further in his statement here, saying not only are we to focus on the things above, but don't focus on the things that are on the earth. You know, we only have so much space in our minds and it's easy to fill it up quickly. And so we shouldn't waste it. We shouldn't fill it up with things that don't cause us to seek after Christ. It could be all kinds of different things. It might be secular music or books or jokes, sports, hobbies, sitcoms. The list could go on. Really anything that can consume your mind and take up space from the things that are Christ-like. In Christ, we have a new relationship to the world. That means that it's not only okay to be different from everybody else, but it's expected that the world will frankly see us as weirdos. Believe it or not, that's actually a good thing. Consider what Jesus had to say about this topic in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The world is not going to understand the life of a believer if we are truly living in the heavenlies, as this passage exhorts us to do. 1 Corinthians 2.14 teaches us that they're not even able to understand. He says, for the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So the reality of Christ's finished work of redemption requires a change to occur in our minds and we will no longer stress over or rejoice in the same things that the world loves. But we focus on the things that are above and specifically we focus in on the things of the kingdom of our savior. That then brings us to verse three and the fourth of our six realities that we're uh, surveying this morning. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The first half of this reality is that the death that is required of each of us because of our sin has already been paid. And because we're reunited with Christ in his death, we have already died to sin. And so it's prudent then for us to ask, what does this mean? Why is it important? Why does he tell us that we have died? Well, it means that we're freed from sin and that we should consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6, 7 through 11. Those old desires of our past don't rule us anymore. We now have the ability to look upward and forward to Christ and do the things that bring him glory And the things that bring us joy as we do that. And that leads us to the second half of this same reality. And that our life is hidden in Christ, excuse me, hidden with Christ in God. And when we think of hidden, we we can think of three different aspects of our life being hidden with Christ in God. The first is that it's not currently seen. If you consider the resurrection of believers and the resurrection that we look forward to as believers, we don't look like that right now. We don't experience all of the blessings, the fullness of the blessings of being made like Christ and seeing him as he is at this stage. Both creation and we ought to be longing for this change. Do you long for that change? Might be a question you could ask. Romans eight nineteen says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Not only do we wait for that, but creation itself yearns to have people who are Christ-like ruling it. And you know, when sin is taken away from our flesh and we finally see our Savior in all of his glory, just attempt to imagine how sweet and how wonderful those moments or that time, that eternity of worship is gonna be. And it's the anticipation of that day that causes the cares and desires of the world that one day are really, frankly, gonna burn up, to start to fade away. It makes you want more of the joy. It makes you want more of the joy that there is to be had in worshiping Christ uh, in spirit and in truth. And that's why we're given this passage. And that's why we're given other passages that are like this um, this teaching about the realities that we have in Christ. It gives us an anchor to hold on to that when trials and temptations, and difficult times come and they begin to beat us up. We just feel tired and worn down and we don't know if we can do it anymore, whatever it might be. And we, that we can then not lose hope, but continue to joyfully fulfill the mission that he's given us. The mission to glorify him and call the lost to redemption in him. And not only to redemption, but also to be made like him. The second aspect of being hidden with Christ in God is that we're secure. Jesus says of his sheep in John 10, 28, I give eternal life to them. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And in case that isn't clear enough, Paul offers in Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can come between the reality of the hope we have in Christ and us receiving that hope. And because—and this is because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Then the third aspect of being hidden with Christ in God, and I found this to be one of the um, most amazing aspects of it all, if you really take the time uh, to meditate on it and consider it but it's that we have common life with the Father and the Son. Literally, our spirits are intertwined with God. And we are uh, taught in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And as a result, we actually become partakers of the divine nature, which sounds really crazy. Second Peter 1, 4 continues, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its lust. The way that our spirits are intertwined with him means that corruption is put away while the awesome righteousness of God has been given to us, we who don't deserve it. And that leads us into the fifth and sixth realities that'll help to shape our mind towards heavenly living. Verse four, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, Christ is coming back. This is the fifth reality, and this is true. It's not just a story. We don't just look to the Bible and be like, oh, that's a great bedtime story. I'll read that to my kids tonight. This is a promise that all who are in Christ and who find their life in him look forward to. Listen as I read from Revelation 19, specifically verses 11 through 16, of the description of the return of our king. Literally, our king is going to return. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has written, a name on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies of which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh, he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an amazing day that's gonna be. And again, I can't say it enough. This is a real day. This is actually gonna happen. This is history. The day that Christ returns and sets all things right. But the sixth reality and what's cool, and what's hidden in here. Notice in verse 14 of uh, Revelation 19, he says that the armies of heaven that are with him, these armies are believers. We have the privilege of sharing with him in that day. And so the sixth reality is that we who believe in and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and our King get to share with him in his glories. The Spirit tests it. Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8. and 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. It's that hope fixed on Christ that purifies. So certain of Christ's return, how are you gonna respond today? This is the same question demanded by each of the realities that we just surveyed. Each of these realities call us to purity. They call us out of sin. They call us out of earthly thinking. They call us to the heavenlies and they call us to a new life that proclaims that Christ is King. And because we follow him, we will look different from the world. And brothers and sisters, if you don't look different from the world and those who are lost in your life can't tell that there's something different, Maybe even odd about the way that you live. And that means we're failing to seek the things above and that we're living in disobedience. Are you living alive in Christ? Are you thinking that way? Are you thinking alive in Christ? Is your life marked with a pursuit of holiness? Does your life testify that Christ is your king? You know, the scriptures teach us how to be transformed, how to have a renewed mind. And the scriptures are constantly calling his people to remember the things that God has done. Constantly calling us to remember the truths of the gospel. I know, Pastor John, you talk about that all the time. The joy of hearing and receiving the gospel over and over and over again. You can never feast on the gospel too much. You can never feast on Christ too much. And so we have to keep our eyes fixed on him at all times. Part of that from Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is remembering that God is real and that God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus the Christ. That believers have been raised with Christ. We've been united with him and his work. That Christ is not only in heaven, but he's seated, having completed his work at the Father's right hand. That believers have died. Their life is hidden with Christ and God and everything that that entails. Christ will return. And when he returns, we get to share with him in his glories. Taking these realities seriously and focusing on Christ will lead us in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin And call the lost to redemption in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So with that, let's close in prayer. Father, your word is mighty. It is powerful. It transforms minds. It changes hearts. You tell us that we receive faith from your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to hear it. a public setting and to share it with one another and to rejoice in the truths that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we would not forget these and they would ever be on our minds, that the work which you have done and that you have accomplished would transform us. That those who are believers would receive all of the blessings which you've given to us, and that we would live in the reality of having been raised up with Christ. That Lord, if there's any here who don't know you, who don't have hope, that you would transform them. That Lord, you would cause those of us who are believers to be lights in this world, to never lose our love of Christ, that Overland Hills would never lose its love of Christ, that you would allow us to be a people who love you, who love your word, and... Bear the mission that you've given us faithfully and pray this in the awesome and holy and powerful name of your son Jesus